If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia, where we rage against the machine, where we raise our voices against injustice and stand up for justice, where we embrace hope and joy with an optimism for a brighter, more just future. Each week, I'll be dropping knowledge, whether it's a solo episode from me or a hearty discussion with esteemed guests doing great things in spaces and places of politics, entertainment, social justice, and beyond. We get real, baby. I mean, really real. We get honest. We get up close and personal for you. Yes, you. Because everybody is somebody. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim. Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Hello, somebody. I'm fired up today. But you know what? When am I not fired up? Y'all know I'm always, always, almost always on a 10 out of 10. (laughs) And I hope that you're going to get fired up with me. Because I'm going to take us, all of us, every one of us, regardless of our different backgrounds, social classes, all hues of the rainbow and all walks of life, we're going to tackle this thing. And today, the thing that we're tackling, the thing that we are going to talk about is the legal system in America. Now, you know, we could do a whole year long series, two, three, four, five year series about the legal system itself. The part of the legal system we are going to talk about today. And you notice I said legal system, trying not to say criminal justice system, trying to ensure that I use the proper vocabulary when it comes to tackling this thing. I think it was Dr. Maya Angelou who once said, if you know better, do better. There is no justice in the criminal system. So I don't know why we call it a criminal justice system. Even that don't even make sense. You know, you really think that thing through. It don't make sense at all that we call it a criminal justice system. So we're going to call it the legal system. And let us all try to do that. The legal system in all of its various machinations from the streets being law enforcement all the way up to The judges, that entire system needs to be reimagined and changed to have more justice in it. But I digress. The part of the legal system that we are going to talk about today is mass incarceration. Yeah, baby, mass incarceration, wrongful convictions and systemic racism. This is a sickness that we have in far too many places in America and especially in the highest parts of our system itself, be it political, social, economic, environmental, racial. We need to fix the system. And it's especially our brothers and our sisters that have been wrongfully convicted. So when I say brother, brothers, I'm talking about black folks. And when I say sister, sisters, I'm talking about black folks. 
A lot of folks can be our sisters and brothers, but we are going to tackle the system as it impacts black folks for a minute. Is that all right? Can I get a hello, somebody? All right. Hello, somebody. So we owe it to ourselves and to our loved ones who may have suffered in this system to shed more light and add some personal experiences to this topic. And speaking of personal experiences, I have with me today an honor to have with me today, Christopher Scott in 1997. Christopher Scott was wrongfully convicted of capital murder as a result of a faulty eyewitness identification. Now, let me pause right there because y'all know all black folks look alike. Yeah, I'm going there today. Christopher, I'm going there today. Let me finish and I'm going to pull Chris in. I got him laughing already. Scott was exonerated in 2009 based on another man's detailed confession making this the first non-DNA case. That's an end quote. I took that from an article. So Christopher Scott, welcome to Hello Somebody. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here too. And it is always better when we're talking about the various systems that run our country to have somebody with a firsthand experience, firsthand knowledge, somebody that's done went through the daggone thing. And so I got you here today. Can you share with us? I just did a little brief. It was just a glimpse into what happened to you in 1997, but they don't have to hear it from me based on an article that I'm quoting from. Can you share with us briefly what happened to you in 1997? And basically in 1997, I was going to talked to a friend that was struggling with drugs. And I worked at the local grocery store that he used to shop at. And I met him through my girlfriend, which they families actually knew each other because all of them went to high school together. And once I got to know him a little bit, we started having conversations about his drug addiction. And, you know, being young and seeing my brother and them having that same issue, I just used to, I told him the same thing I told my old, older brother then. If you want to stop using drugs, you have to do that for yourself, for one. And for two, don't hang around the people that's going to entice you to use drugs. How old were you, Christopher, in 1997? I was 26. 26. My God. Just getting started. Just getting started. Yeah, just getting started. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you were helping out a friend and just telling them, hey, you got to not hang out in the wrong spaces and places. Go on. Right. So, uh. He called me about seven times that night. I turned him down each time because I didn't want to leave my girlfriend and two kids at home by themselves, you know, late at night. Yes. I got two boys. They was four and five at the time. And, you know, I didn't want him to reach out to me and I turned him down and then he harmed himself for somebody else. I wouldn't want that on my conscience. Yeah. So I got out of my house and went to see what his problem was or what he was struggling with. And I, as I turned on his street, I saw a lot of cops. This is pretty much an upscale neighborhood. And when I saw all the cops, I knew something had happened because I had never seen these many cops in the neighborhood before. So, you know me, I don't get out of my car. I pull up in this driveway. I blow my horn. He come out, jump in my car. We take a couple of spins around the block. I stop him at a friend house. He probably stayed in his friend house maybe 45 seconds to a minute. He comes back out, gets in the car. We go to 7-Eleven and sit in the parking lot. We go in, get a couple of soft drinks. We having a conversation, conversation over in about 10 minutes. I think I calmed him down some. So on the way back, going to take him to his place, I hear a helicopter. And as I'm turning on the street, I see the helicopter flying over my car, shining his light on me. And I'm wondering why is he doing that? But I'm not really paying no attention. I'm not really worried about anything. Next thing you know, a female officer is driving south and we're going north. And once she shined her light on my car, you can't see inside of my car because it was like limousine tent. Yeah. So when she made a U-turn, I told Claude Simmons, which was the guy that was in the car with me, hey, the officer just turned around. So in the neighborhood that I grew up in, Oak Cliff, if a cop get behind us and, and we're in the neighborhood, we just going to pull up in one of our friend's house or a neighbor house until the cop stop following us. And then we may go the opposite direction because we just don't want to be harassed by the cops. Then. So that was pretty much the premise of what I did. So what I did was we got out the car. I told him to sit inside of his home until the cops leave because it was too many cops for me to be on the streets. 
I said, I'm going to sit in your house and I'm just going to chill. He said, okay, cool. I started watching TV. Maybe 45 seconds later, the cops called the phone, say they want the two guys that just got out of the car to come outside. And I tell my friend who has it was like, hey, the cops want us to come outside. He say, for what? We hadn't did anything. Just hang the phone up. It's his house. I did what he said. I hung the phone up. Maybe a minute later, they call back and say, hey, you two guys need to come out of their house. And then I tell him, I say, hey, it's the cops again. He said, man, just hang the phone up. I said, okay, cool. Now I'm thinking like something had to happen if they want us to come out. So I got up and looked out the window. Now the whole neighborhood is just surrounded by cops. It's barricaded. You can't come in. You can't come out. So I immediately get on the phone. I call my girlfriend and let her know what's happening. Like, look, I don't know what's going on. Maybe you need to come out here. She said, okay, I'm on my way. So eventually it's women and kids inside the home. We started seeing cops walk outside the house, flashlights shining in. The kids and the women are getting scared. So I tell Claude, I say, look, let's just go outside and see what they want. He said, okay, let's do it. By the time we open up the door, I'm sitting on the couch. It's about nine officers run, come inside of the house, and all nine of them had, have guns drawn on me. For one, why do y'all have guns drawn on me? For two, why so many? And then the officers say, well, you're on a need-to-know basis. Come outside, and we'll tell you what you need to know. Say, okay. So eventually, they lay me on the ground and about 10 more other guys. But the crazy part about it, they laid me on the ground with about four or five people at first. Then they just went and got random black guys that kind of that kind of fit my description to lay on side of me. So Christopher, I want to get an understanding here. Are you saying so they, you know, was following you all? Obviously, they were eyeing some other people. By the time you finally decide that we're gonna go out the house and see what the officers want, you're saying that there were other Young black men already rounded up? No, over the police scanner, this was the general description of the two men that committed this crime. Sure. Two African-American men, one tall, one short, dark complected with a low haircut. Now, this is the general description. That could be anybody or so many of us. Right. So when the description came over the police scanner, and when they saw me and my co-defendant, Claude Simmons, get out the car, they immediately said, those are the two guys that committed the crime, we think. So when they got us out the house, they gathered other men that was just looking at the scene about what was going on and made them come lay on side of us in the yard. So eventually they picked me. So they got me off the ground. They got took it. me to a van put some liquid substance in my hand and let it drip into a bag. And they escorted me to a police car. And now I'm not even paying attention why they're even doing this liquid substance test at this particular time. Because now I'm so dumbfounded about why are y'all harassing and bothering me about something I don't know anything about. So when they put me in a police car, the cops say, hey, it's a lady going to come identify you. If she can't, we got to release you. By that time, I see my girlfriend driving up. And the first thing the police said, grab her. That's her. Her right there. I'm like, that's my girlfriend. She's been at home with me all day with my kids. What are you talking about? So the moral of the story was, it was six people that committed this crime, capital murder. She went inside of a drug house to see how much drugs and money that they had in the house. Once she scoped out the drug house, she came out and told the other guys that was in the car what they had inside of the house. Two other men got out of the car, went inside of the home, and robbed and killed this Hispanic drug dealer and left the scene of the crime. So they thinking that female is my girlfriend. Oh, that's the lady that actually set it up. So at that particular time, I really don't know what they're looking for. So... They asked me and my girlfriend, we in separate cars. Can we search our cars? Yeah, y'all can search the cars. Fine. What they actually looking for is clothes that was described other people that committed the crime. They can't find them because me and my co-defendant clothes don't match that description. Sure. So 
Eventually, they searched the car. They searched the home. They said they had to do something with the clothes. I'm like, clothes? What are you talking about? We did something with the clothes. Right after that, they say, well, we're going to take you downtown because the lady's not going to come identify you here. She's going to identify you downtown. So this eyewitness, this woman ended up identifying you. Once we got to the police station, they took about 20 of us to jail that night. 20 people. So they sit me in a room where could nobody else be seen and handcuffed me to a bench. The officer walks the lady up to the glass window I'm sitting behind and point at me and say, this is the man that killed your husband. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. And the only thing the Hispanic lady said, see, that's him. That's him. Let's pause right there because we know there have been many instances where people have been coerced to say, you know, that they committed a crime or in the way that you're describing it being very clear that the officer said, this is the man, not is this the man? This is the man that killed your, you said husband. Yes. And she said, see, that's him. That's That's him. him. Now I couldn't hear because I'm behind thick plexiglass. I'm a good lip reader. So in my mind, I'm like, I know she didn't just say what I thought she said. Right. So eventually they uh, take me to interrogation room. So the first thing they wanted to know is about drugs. Who I get my drugs from, how much drugs I sell a day. They assumed you were a, a drug dealer and a drug user. Let me go back, Christopher, too. Did they ever read you your Miranda rights? No, not at that particular time. They didn't. They handcuffed you and took you to the station without reading you your Miranda rights. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because I wasn't really under arrest. I was being detained. Well, hell, I mean, it's a fine line between being detained and being arrested. For sure. But that's just how they, you know. I I get it. So they interrogated me for drugs. Have you ever sold drugs? No. So the the, the, uh, rumor that they had was I was a kingpin drug dealer working at a grocery store that was your cover christopher your cover was working at the grocery store it was so it was so crazy that when the lady said it was me and i got interrogated for the drugs the only reason i actually found out what i was there for when you go to the interrogation room if you look at the top that's what you're being interrogated for so i asked them could i use the restroom they said yes so it started coming together. When I look up, it said homicide. So now I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. I go into the bathroom. I put some water on my face. I say, I got to wake up now because this is serious. Yeah. So now I see why they put the liquid substance on my hand to see if I fired the gun. Got you. Yeah, I was like, OK, cool. Right. You didn't fire a gun. So, Christopher, did they ever at any point because now they got you in the interrogation room. Right. So they still got you in detained status. So they hadn't read you your Miranda rights. Did you ever say, hey, I ain't talking to you guys without an attorney? Yeah, 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 I did. I said, man, you know, I want my attorney. Yes. What did they say? Innocent people don't need attorney. Oh, hell I'm no. I'm like, yeah, I need an I need attorney because I want him to protect my rights. That's right. So once they figured out that I said that, it was automatically stand up. Put your hands behind your back. You're going to jail for capital murder. Good God. I'm like, time out. You was asking me about drugs and being a kingpin drug dealer. Now you talk about capital murder case. Did I kill somebody? I'm like, man, you crazy. No, no, that's not me. So as we're walking out of the interrogation room, a police officer stops me. He say, Mr. Scott, I do not believe you committed this crime. And I'm like, I know I didn't commit this crime, but I'm going to jail for capital murder. He said, yeah, you're going to jail for capital murder. He said, but this is the reason I don't believe you committed this crime. He said, five minutes prior to her identifying you, we put you in a lineup. She couldn't even pick you out. He said, and I asked her, why couldn't you pick Mr. Scott out? She said, I was scared. And the officer was like, scared of what? Scared of him. He was like, how can you be scared of Mr. Scott if he's locked up in a room with cops surrounding him? You locked up in a room with cops surrounding you. There's no reason to be scared. He said, that's for one. He said, for two, Mr. Scott, he said, you're well-dressed. 
you wear groomed, you wear spoken, you driving a nice car, and we found an uncast paycheck stub in your back pocket. He said, this is not the crime of a person that fits your caliber. This is the crime of a dope This is what the cop told me. He said, if you subpoena me, I will come to trial and say it's nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing linking you to this crime, but this lady's word alone. That's all we have because there is no DNA. So I say, but when I call you, I hope you come. So eventually I go to jail. They eventually release my girlfriend. So because they found out she wasn't the lady that actually set up the crime. So now I'm sitting in jail, but the guy that actually pulled the trigger that killed the guy went home crying to his girlfriend, saying what he did. He confessed to her and told her, go to the police station. Tell the police exactly what I'm telling you. I just robbed and killed this Hispanic drug dealer, and I'm the one that did it. He confessed to her, sent her to the police station, and told her to tell the people what actually happened. When she told them police is that, they told her to never come back down here again and say that if not, they're going to lock her up. Wow. So you're finding out all of this after the fact, obviously. I mean, there are so many things just along the way based on you telling the story that the law enforcement folks did wrong all along the way. And that whole intimidation factor that happens to so many people who don't they 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 are in fear, too. And that is one of the things that is wrong with the legal system itself is that we are going to intimidate people into saying what we want them to say. So that we can open and shut case a lot of times. And it it is beyond unfortunate. It is really sad. And we can do something about it. It doesn't have to go that way. I'm just still shaking my head at the fact that when you ask for your attorney, now all of a sudden it's come on, we locking you up because guilty people don't need an attorney. No, you need it. We have a system that says, you know, get an attorney. That's how the system is set up. What do you mean? There have been lots of innocent people. You need a damn attorney. But the crazy part about it was, that same night, they sent me an attorney. They did. Okay. Because they say in capital murder, we have to come see you because this is either life or death the same day you get charged with capital murder. But when in the interrogation room, when I asked for my attorney, you know, they wouldn't give it to me. But now they have to give it to me. They have to give it to me. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, Let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. So I want to bring in, you know, just to kind of set the stage for us, I want to bring in Byron Stevenson. He is a a lawyer and the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. And some of the people who are joining us today, Christopher, may remember him from being the author of a book called Just Mercy. And I'm just thinking about like how we're talking this through. One of the things that he said, and I'm quoting him here. He said, our system treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Oh, yeah, for sure. That summarizes basically your story, what you're saying to us. Our system treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. And that's coming from Mr. Byron Stevenson. He's a lawyer. He's the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, author of Just Mercy. Some folks may have read that book and some people may have also seen the movie adaptation of that right. book. Both are very, very good. So so would you agree with his comments? Yeah, of, of course, 100 percent, because look, 
the head DA of the time, 45, maybe 50 men was actually wrongfully convicted in Dallas County alone. We lead the nation in exonerations. And the, this DA said this, he said, a good prosecutor is not a good prosecutor that can find a guilty man guilty. A good prosecutor can only be a good prosecutor if he find an innocent man guilty. And he lived by it because our conviction rate when he was DA of Dallas County was like 85%. If you go to court, you're going to get convicted. And so in lies the problem. Let us rest right there. I want to like rest right in that moment that there is a true I want to say it's a misunderstanding, but it's not a misunderstanding because the legal system is working just the way it was designed. So I want the people, again, who are joining us on this journey today to understand what Mr. Christopher Scott is saying to you. And we hear people say this over and over again, you know, and then even in the book, The New Jim Crow, written by Dr. Michelle Alexander, laying all of this kind of stuff out. We've heard these stories over and over again that there is intentionally created within the legal system in America especially if you are a prosecutor and I'm not saying all prosecutors. So before folks start texting me and tweeting me and, and, and all that kind of stuff, right. The majority of them subscribe majority. to a system, right. To a system that says prosecute, 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 and don't give a damn about justice because there's a right. difference between seeking justice as a prosecutor, because we know the prosecutor's job, right, is to uphold the law and to help within the ecosystem of the legal system itself. We want to try to keep bad people off the street, right, so that they don't hurt good people. We know that. Got to be transparent as well. Got to be transparent. So, but the way you're describing this, and I'm sure many people can relate, that this prosecutor just laid it all out there in Dallas County and said, hey, my job is to prosecute. Look at his prosecution rate. And that says right. to me that the whole notion of what justice is doesn't even cross too many of these people's mind. It's just lock them up so I can check my box. How many prosecutions right. can I have under my belt? How many notches, you know, can I have under my belt? So again, once again, once again, we are reminded by Mr. Christopher Scott at the rot within the system. So Dallas County, give us those stats again about the prosecution rate. Under that particular prosecutor. Yeah, under Henry Wave, our prosecution rate was 85%. 85%. If you go to court, you're going to get found guilty. The crazy part about that was the time I went to, I was going to trial. I'm in a holdover with seven other African-American men. I'm the oldest out of all eight of us. At 26. Wow. Everybody else is younger than me. None of us got no less than 75 years. Good. God. Good God. And you know, we have more people in prison than any other industrialized nation on the right. face of the earth. And the majority, based on the percentage in the population, are black men. Right. Hello, somebody. I was on a unit with 5,000 men. It's the biggest unit. 5,000 men. Good I God. I got to say at least... 35, 40% was African-American men. The number could be higher. It's criminal. I mean, I, I think we have almost 2 million people and almost half of those people are black men. And it makes no damn sense given that black people together, men and women, make up about 13% of this population. Right. That in itself is criminal. But, right. but what this system is designed and it's been designed this way since the founding of this country and the quote, the urban poet Ice Cube my skin is my sin. And right. that is how the legal system operates. And we can't even argue about that. The question becomes, what the hell are we going to do about it? Because e there are two things. Either you are saying that black people are innately more criminal than any other human being walking the face of the earth or the legal system is fucked up. It's fucked up. That's it. I mean, Christopher, are you with me? It's only two things. Either we have been born, you, you follow me, more criminal than anybody else, or there is something innately wrong with the legal system in America that marks you for life if you are black, if you are brown, and if you are poor from any walk of life.
You know, just be poor. You know, our poor whites, poor black. But but if especially if you black, and especially if you a black man, forget about it. And those the activities of the legal system itself is not new. This is how it was when our ancestors were set free. I got air quotes here. There were laws, vagrancy laws. There were all kinds of laws that were set up to treat black people differently. And even in the colonies, before we became the United States of America, there are stories out there about indentured servants. You know, there'd be white indentured servant Right. And there'll be a black person and they can right. do the exactly the same thing. And the black person got penalized more harshly than the white indentured servant. So don't nobody tell me that this foolishness is not by design. And that is not to say, Christopher, I mean, we, you and I are not saying that black people don't commit crime. Like there's evil and good in all of us, regardless of our race and our ethnicity, regardless of our economic status, sexual orientation, all of that, no matter our identities. But what we are saying today, hello, somebody family, is that there's something wrong. There's something wrong with this system. Yeah. And black women are starting to suffer. We criminalize drug use, Christopher. And when I asked you those questions, I was being sarcastic because automatically when they took you in there and they're asking you, do you abuse drugs? Do you sell drugs? Well, by nature, right. you being a black man, that had to be your profession. I mean, it just had to be, right? So they stereotyping you. But I want to just put a point right here. That also in this country, we criminalize drug use. Now, I'm not talking about right. the sellers and the pushers. That's a whole different story, getting somebody amped right. up and hooked on drugs. I'm talking about right. people who are legitimately users. They are hooked. Right. There are drugs right. of despair. You know, some right. people taking drugs because they they're so desperate. They trying to right. escape their life. And alcohol mm -hmm. is is a drug of despair. Heroin right. is a drug of despair. Opioids, a drug of despair. Crack cocaine, a drug of despair. So you got addicts, right? Legitimate addicts that we lock up in this damn country as criminals. That's criminal in and of itself. Christopher, you done got me fired up. So let's go. So you 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 land look, I didn't use the F bomb, so I'm gonna have to bleep me. Cause it's supposed to be a PG show. <laughs> sometimes you got to say it. Sometimes you got to say it. So Chris, I wanna go back, you know, cause we land this out and maybe you know, we might have to have a part two on this because we're not gonna get all this out today. But I am so, so glad that you are sharing your story with us, walking us through. Did the officer who said to you, I don't believe you did this, man, and if I'm called, if I'm subpoenaed to testify, I'll testify. Did they ever testify? Yeah, he did. Not only did he testify. The lieutenant of our police force came to my trial and had the two pictures of the men that actually committed the crime. The judge and the prosecutor told the cop to get out of the courtroom because it was hearsay. Good Lord Almighty. So ultimately, you were found guilty. You served this time. Walk us through your found guilty you're in prison. I know you having all kinds of emotions and moments that right, are probably right, too right. difficult for you to even explain what happened to you. But what kept you like fighting and fighting and how did it eventually come to a head? Can you get us to the end of the story? Because I know that you after your release, you founded the House of Renew Hope. So so what happened while you were, you know, in there? I know it was brutal. Yeah. But what right. got you to the end where you're, you're exonerated in 2009? What happened there? Basically, it was just me having a foundation that was going to keep me out of trouble and keep me from not coming home, seeing my kids. So, you know, I just really uh, it, it was funny what I did. I started uh, I was real skinny when I went in. I started lifting weights. I got a job in the kitchen. I started reading like three books per week. And then I got back into watching soap operas. It was so funny, but soap operas are mandatory in prison. So it was so funny about that. Why are soap operas mandatory in prison? It's three things that's mandatory in prison. Soap operas, the news, and sports. You got some of the realest killers in prison that watch soap operas. Yeah, like, totally. I watched General Hospital for 13 years. Seriously. <laughs> no, <laughs> 13 years pretty much in the same seat. And when I got there, they were saying, hey, man, we do this every day. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to fit right in. So after me, you know, having that foundation set 
and being focused on by trying to get my freedom back again. That's all I did was that foundation thing and start going to the law library. But in 2009, a UTA student came to visit me in prison and told uh, me that university, university of Texas of Arlington. Yeah. They had an undergraduate class that uh, investigated cases of wrongful convictions. Yes. So when the first African-American district attorney got hired in the state of Texas history. He took my case to their university. The young lady, she was like 18, 19 years old, came to see me. But she, at first she wanted me to confess to the crime. I wouldn't confess. What? Yeah, she wanted me to confess to capital murder. Was she testing you? I don't think she was testing me. The thing was, one of the guys had already confessed. And then they was looking for the other killer. And they wanted that to, that guy to be me. But he wasn't me. And I told her I couldn't confess to that crime. But in the meantime, I was already getting together with brothers about what could we do to stop ourselves from going to prison for, for crime we didn't commit. And we used to meet up in our day room and be like, hey, we got to go down and legislate. If we don't deal with legislation, then ain't nothing going to change because if, it's, because if it's not law, then they can continue to do it. That's it. Yeah, that's what really made me focus on. I'm going to get me an organization. I'm going to get a great name for it. And I'm going to start trying to help innocent men and women get out of prison for crime they didn't commit. Yeah. I got out of prison. I went to private investigator school. Me and a couple of my friends that's a part of my team took those classes. And now, you know, we're a licensed private investigator. We get to work on these cases and do what we got to do to help innocent men and women go free. And if you looked at the documentary at the end of the documentary, you see Isaiah here after serving 41 years going free. Yeah, true conviction. Yeah. So we encourage people to go. I, I believe folks can get to that off of. They can go to Amazon Prime. Go Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime. Okay, so true yeah. convictions go to Amazon Prime. So you were exonerated. Get us right there. Like, take us right there. So you were working, reading, doing all the things to keep your mentals intact, knowing yeah. that you were innocent. And that's right. extra hard time when you're innocent. I mean, it's one thing if you did it. It's still hard time, but it's extra, extra hard time when you're innocent. What really got the ball rolling was yes. me getting exonerated. The guy that actually committed the crime was incarcerated with my brother, but didn't know this guy was my brother. So my brother walked in a, out in a prison barbershop. This guy went in a prison barbershop and sit inside of my brother's seat and started telling my brother about the crime. In the barbershop, the prison barbershop. Yeah, barbershop. yeah he sit inside the barbershop and he told my brother like, hey, me and my friend robbed the kid, his, this Hispanic drug dealer. And there's two people in prison for this crime we committed. And my brother was like, look, that sounds like my little brother's case. And he was like, nah, that ain't your little brother. He would say, well, tell me something about the guy that's locked up for you. He knew everything about me. He was like, his name Christopher Scott. He got two kids. His girlfriend named Brandy Simmons. He drive a forest green and gold Lexus. And he's a produce supervisor at Tom Thumb. He knew everything about it. My brother was like, dude, that's my little brother. And he was like, nah, that, no, it's not. My brother said, look, come to the rig yard. I'm going to show you a picture. He went to the rig yard. My brother showed him a picture. Say, said, yeah. That's Chris Scott that I'm locked up for. Jesus. And my brother was like, hey, you know, you got two choices. Tell the truth or every day you're in prison going to be a living hell for you. I'm just telling you. And he was like, hey, man, I've been wanting to do the right thing. But it was crazy. We sent that affidavit and the DA denied it. Shut up. He didn't want it. Yeah. And he said, we are never overturn a case without no DNA. Right. Yeah. So in 2009, well, 2006, that's when the first African-American district attorney got hired in the state of Texas history, Craig Watkins. He initiated this conviction interrogative unit. We call it CIU. And the only thing they do is investigate claims of actual innocence for men and women who's claiming they're innocent. And no longer that he got into office, I saw about eight people from the prison I was in get exonerated from their D.A., so what did I do? I wrote that DA a letter. Once he received my letter, he took my case to the college. The young lady came and see me. He wanted me to confess. And I told her, no, I'm not going to confess to a crime I didn't commit. And he, actually, she got up to walk away. 
But it was crazy. The doors was locked. So neither one of us could get out the room. And she came back and say, hey, sit down and talk to me again. I'm like, nah, I ain't talking to you no more. Get out of here. You want me to confess to a crime I didn't commit. So eventually she persuaded me to sit down. I told her about my case. And she said, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take your case to the DA again and tell him that you're innocent too. And both of you and your co-defendants can get exonerated on if y'all do one thing. And I was like, what? Say, you got to pass a polygraph test. I'm like, I asked for a polygraph test that night that they locked me up. And my lawyer told me he wasn't going to give it to me because he thought I would fail it. Yeah, he told me that. The lawyer, Jesus Christ. My lawyer said, I am not giving you a polygraph test because you may fail that test. And I'm like, look, if I'm telling you I'm innocent and to give me a polygraph test. I'm telling you the truth. So right then, I didn't want that attorney anymore because I already knew he felt like I was guilty. Oh, yeah. I mean, Christopher Scott, look, I, I got to let the hello somebody family know I'm really, truly calling on black Jesus at this moment. I mean, I wish y'all could see me really, truly <laughs> calling on black Jesus. The man asked for a polygraph test and the lawyer said, no, no. Jesus yeah. Christ. All right. So. The young lady said, hey, you got a part of our program, a part of being, you know, on this train with us. Yeah, it was like when she told me that I didn't know that it was actually happening until my mom came and saw me because my mom had never visited me in prison because she was sick. Yeah. And when I went into the visitation room, I saw my mom. Now I'm like, what's she doing down? There? I hadn't seen it in almost in almost 13 years. Wow. I'm like, what you doing down there? She said, well, this is the last time I'm going to come down here and see my baby in all white because I'm the baby out of nine. She said, I never see my baby in white clothes again because you got a chance of going home if you pass this polygraph test. I'm like, you ain't got to worry about a hundred percent. I'm going to pass it. I'll be a free man again. And then maybe two weeks later, I get called back to Dallas County. Me and my co-defendant take the polygraph test. We pass it. And, and it was a rejoice because when my attorney came to the polygraph test with me, she said, it's 24 officers in that room waiting on you to fail this test yeah. because they don't want to admit they made a mistake. Yeah. I, well, I'm like, man, you know, they're going to know they made a mistake because I'm innocent. I didn't commit the crime. It may, and the, the test took me about six hours to complete the polygraph test. My six, God. Yes, it be damn. It's a beat down. Yeah, they beat you down and ask you those questions. Yeah. And when I passed it, you know, the officer that, you know, that walks me out, Jim James Hammond, he's a he's a uh, investigator for Dallas County. And it was crazy. All the cops had lined it up to shake my hand. And I was like, nah, I ain't doing no hands. I know shit. that's right. Hell, ain't the time out for the shaking of the hands. So, um, Christopher, remind us of the black prosecutor that was elected and created this program. Tell us his name again. His name was Craig Watkins. Craig Watkins. He created, what yeah. was the name of the program? It was called the CIU, Conviction Interrogative Unit. Conviction Interrogative Unit. Wow. He started the first one. Now they initiated in so many different cities has it now. Yeah, we should get that. Well, shout out to Craig Watkins for understanding yeah. what true justice looks like. It ain't just about locking folks up. It's trying to get to the truth and get some justice. And it's an injustice when somebody is locked up and they did not commit the crime. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. 
Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Man, so you you got out, so you you working on your mind, working on your mind as best as you can in a situation like right. that for all of those years, doing the things that you need to do and never giving up and obviously never losing faith. Would you consider yourself right. a spiritual man or a religious man at all? Oh, yeah, for sure, because it's crazy. When I was a kid, and it's no lie, my mom's pastor told me I was going to go through this. Wow, she prophesied, huh? Yeah, I was running through the house. He said, you wanted to pray for me. My mom was having prayer me. And he said, you're going to go through something so trying, so terrible. The only thing you're going to get you out of this situation is the faith you have in God. Being young, you don't pay no attention. It's crazy. 17 years later, that man's son told me the exact same thing at my dad's room and told me to come to church that Sunday. And I told him I tried, but I wasn't going to make him a promise. Another week later, I was charged with capital murder. My God. Spirit was looking out for you. I mean, what are the chances that the man who actually did it would sit in the chair where your brother was doing the barbering? And your brother did what any good brother would do. You got two choices, champ. You got just two. Yeah. <laughs> you gonna let the world know you did this, or you gonna have hell to pay every day of your of your living life. I'm I'm so glad that uh, that happened for you. It was a long time coming, but man, when I I'm a spiritual woman, you know myself. I I believe in the power of God, and just that that happened for you that this man your brother of all the prisons that this person could have even been in of all the chairs he could have sat in and it was your brother's chair and it led to and then on top of that you get this new prosecutor uh, you know da elected who believes in Mm -hmm. let's let's figure out who's innocent who really should be in there who shouldn't i'm gonna create a program and that program is not gonna be a stain on me as the da it's gonna help me find more justice Man, it reminds me of the Innocence Project, too, Christopher, the way you explain in that, you know, there's a project called the Innocence Project. So you were you were released and you founded the House of Renewed Hope, a nonprofit organization whose goal is to investigate individuals claiming actual innocence. In 2012, Christopher was named Dallas Morning News, quote, Texan of the year for his good work. Man, because you talk about a testimony, you know, my sister, my siblings and I used to have to go to church. Our mama was a preacher and I always joked that we had to go to church eight days a week. But, you know, in the in the old school black church, there was something called testimony and people got up to testify and they were testifying one to release to talk about what they were going through. But usually always at the end of that was either God delivered them or God was going to deliver them. And I'm telling you, brother Scott, you got a hell of a testimony. So you go from being arrested, charged, put in prison for capital murder to starting a house of renewed hope using what you went through to create Mm -hmm. an organization and a venue and an opportunity for people claiming, and I'm glad you put claiming to be innocent. You're going to help them prove whether or not they were innocent. And then in 2012, you were named by the Dallas Morning News Texan of the Year for your good work. Scott continues to advocate for reform of the Texas criminal justice system. I'm using that because I'm reading it, but let's just go and say the Texas <laughs> legal system. He is also the subject of a documentary called True Conviction based on his life story and the story of the House of Renewed Hope. I encourage everybody, go to Amazon Prime. Uh, forget who owns it. Go to Amazon Prime. And go ahead and watch this. Support this, brother. It's called True Conviction. Christopher has a a podcast called Exoneration Nation. Check him out on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Exoneration Nation, where he discusses topics such as the corruption that goes on in the penal system, the death penalty, and holding prosecutors accountable. So, Christopher, you created the House of Renewed Hope. It's a nonprofit organization that helps people who claim to be innocent walk down that path of being able to get the facts that they need to, I guess, prove their innocence. Talk to us a little more about your nonprofit. Well, basically, it's a nonprofit I started. I actually created while I was in prison. And when I got home, 
I was able just to, you know, get my minds and thoughts gathered together and come up with a plan that who would best know how to look at these cases than men that have actually been in this position. So I went to different colleges, did speaking engagement and started getting interns to come work with me. And then the great part about it is the attorney that actually helped me get exonerated is the attorney that works with my team as of now. Majority of everybody that had a hand getting exonerated, you know, uh, volunteers with my organization. That what made it even better because you have people that actually made exonerations happen, you know, come to fruition. So I wanted to pull those people in. And yeah, that's what we do. We sit down and read letters. And then once we find letters in cases that has marriage to it, we attack those cases. As long as it had marriage to it, yeah, we can you know, go and find out what we need to find out. But it, if it doesn't have any merit in it, it's nothing we can do about it. I have about 5,000 cases right now. My goodness. As of today. Yeah. And out of that 5,000 cases, maybe three or four has enough to get somebody exonerated. And that's the struggle we fight with right now. Yeah, and and you're just one organization. There's so many others, and if you got five thousand, I mean, let's just uh, multiply that across the the country. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. Many organizations like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, that's basically what has a renewed hope is. We just investigate these cases, and we do our own investigation work because. I'm the guy that go knocks on the doors and ask the hard questions. Yeah. No matter what. And we run again, we run across some racist people in small racist town, but we don't let that deter us from what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking at some the world prison briefs data estimates the US incarceration rate at six hundred and thirty-nine inmates per one hundred thousand people as of twenty eighteen or thirteen percent higher than the rate of the next closest country, which is El Salvador. And we certainly have the highest incarceration rate than any other industrialized nation in the world. And people trying to say it's getting better. It's getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just easy. I mean, you just described this whole system where they want you to confess and throw you in prison and they don't really care about whether or not you're innocent. And then another data point that I think the, our folks who are joining us want, which should want to know is that the U.S. spends $81 billion a year on mass incarceration. And that is coming from the Bureau of Justice Statistics. And that figure might be underestimated. So back to your point about the other things being underestimated, $81 billion a year that we can put our fingers on quickly to house people in prison. And so much of that money could be going to education. It could be going to driving down recidivism. It could be going mm-hmm. to helping, especially drug addicts. I'm not saying drug dealers, programs. but drug drug addicts into programs. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's really a shame. Where can people find, if they want to find out more information about your organization, where, where can they go? They can go to houseofrenewedhope.org and look at, you know, the website and you'll see everything you want to see. Cases I'm working on, you know, new podcast information. And I usually post little snippets of my podcast when I do interviews with people and things of that nature. Like yesterday, I did an interview with one of my, you know, wrongful convicted brothers. He did 27 years for a crime he didn't commit. Yeah. And sitting down talking to men like that give you a lot of knowledge about how you can handle the situation because understand this being innocent in prison time is much harder than being guilty in prison ain't no no doubt about it you're not bitter i would be bitter as hell i'm just telling you like the first the first six months i was real bitter but after that i was like man i can't let none stagnate my way of thinking of i'm trying to get out of here right i'm bitter i can't think that way i gotta be able to Right, because when you're doing these rich to try to get back in the court system, all the I's and D's got to be crossed and dotted. Did the state have to provide repair, like reparations to you for, you don't have to tell us the amount. I just want to know that no, they, no, Texas, they ha- no, it's, it, it's open, it's open to the public. Texas pays us 80,000 per year for each year you did in prison. 
Okay. So at first, they didn't want to give us that. They wanted to give us like 25000 per year. Oh, so yeah. we had to go legislate to get it to like 80000 per year. Yes. Each year you, and then after your first year of you getting that money, you start getting an annuity check for the rest of your life. So we set it up. Go like, ahead. Because a lot of people run through money fast. So we were like, hey, the only reason we won't sue is you got to give us an annuity check once a month for the rest of our life to make sure we taken care of and we got their be a pass. And not only that, we got to be a pass where they don't have, we don't be taxed on, on none of our money. You better say that Christopher Scott, you better say that we need to do that I all over the country. Tax free, yeah, baby. Tax free. And, and even, yeah. even that they can never pay you a back. Cause they can't, you can't, you can't get that time back. You can't put a price on the human yeah, life. The time back right. and all that you had to endure while in prison, but they ought to put a down payment on it. Hell, I think it should be more than 80,000, but I'm glad to hear I what you're too. saying. I I'm, I'm glad. Listen, we need to do this all over the country. Somebody found innocent that they, you know, got the pay because you can never truly repay, but but you do need to make sure that that person is comfortable for the rest of their lives. I'm going to tell you something, Brother Scott, Brother Scott, Brother Scott. Thank you so much for joining us on Hello Somebody today to tell your story, to give your testimony about how you got over. And I know your soul looks back and wonders how you got over. And even though you went through something that no person who is innocent should ever have to go through, it is nothing short of a miracle and a testament to your courage and your faith that you were able to endure through it all. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, I want you to know there's so many people in this system, just like Brother Scott, they're women, they're men, they are black, they're white, they're Hispanic. They are the swirls in between. They are gay. They are straight. They're atheist, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, no religion, agnostic people who identify the main thread that probably connects all of these different identities is their socioeconomic class. We must do something about a legal system that sees poor folks of all walks of life as somehow more criminal and less deserving. And especially if you are black, baby, and if you are brown, you know, that's it. And that's all. I want to end this with another quote. And he said, Brian Stevenson, author of Just Mercy. I don't think that there's been a time in American history with more innocent people in prison, end quote. Man, Brother Scott. Oh, my God. Thank you. I hope you keep testifying. I hope you keep shining your light. Uh, much love and support to you for the work that you and your colleagues are doing. It's hard to, to have that put upon you and come out and still have a spirit of wanting to be of service to other people. You're a bad brother in the best of ways. Yeah. It, yeah. Thank you so much. Hello, somebody, folks. Do what you can, where you are, what you have to be, the change that you want to see in the world. To quote the great Mahanta Gandhi, uh, we can't sit on the sidelines in this life. We got to work, 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 work. And when we done, we got to keep work, work for justice, work for something that is true, truly bigger than yourself. We're going to keep the faith, but we damn sure going to keep the fight until the next time. Hello, somebody. Coming. The pain is numbing. Try to shoot for the stars if you gon' aim for something. Embrace the love for your brother and sister. Unity's the missing brush. We need to puzzle this picture. Let's paint it up, frame it up for the world to see. Hang the hatred up. Enough is enough is enough. Making changes on us. In Turner, her voice is the truth. Her wise words inspire the youth to keep their eyes on the roof. It's the end. Never give up. Keep conquering goals. To the eye, intelligence, silver, wisdom is gold. Back to the end, now is your time. Stay firm, don't fold. To the A, all you need is the three bones. That's what Granny said. Now I'ma make sure these words from Granny spread. For all the hair, just give her your ear. She can take you to the promised land, I swear. World peace is what they fear. From Queens to Cleveland, Ohio, we here. Famous.
Hello Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 